by drugs and stopped going to school, stopped going to my house. I had a, my family was always fighting, going through stuff. And um, through that, kind of dropped out, in and out of school, getting into weird, dumb stuff. And um, one day I went to my house um, and I walked into uh, my parents' room, closed, door was locked, screaming, cussing, glass breaking. And um, the next morning I woke up and there were two suitcases, one for my sister and one for my mother. Um, My parents, um, we were getting evicted from the house, so my mom took my sister and moved to the Philippines. Um, My family didn't have a good relationship with me. They didn't have a good relationship with one another. So um, my dad and I were left homeless. Um, My dad um, moved across the bay, and I was living homeless behind Home Depot in Newark. And for three months, um, that's where I was at. I had a gallon jug of water that I would fill up at the local elementary school. And um, the nights were the worst. I would be hungry, starving at 2, 3 in the morning with my ribs shivered and I'm cold, and I'm hungry, and all I could think about at three in the morning was how alone I felt, how I felt abandoned, how I felt not good enough, Um, but after those three months, a mother took me in, and she walked me into the room, and there was a closet space with a sleeping bag and a pillow that I got to live in. Um, Through that, I eventually went back to school. There was a teacher who walked alongside me till the day that I graduated, Um, I spoke at that graduation, and in the back of the room was my Young Life leader. Big, tall, goofy beard waving at me from the back of the stage, Brett Hall. And he watched me. (laughs) He was like, hey, how are you? But he was in the back of the stage, and he watched me um, graduate. And that night he asked me, hey, come to my um, Young Life club. Um, And this was around the time that I graduated. And I said, okay. And we ended up talking from 11 p.m. to 2 a.m. Started talking about life, talked about girls. He popped open one of those little orange Bibles out of his butt, and he was just like, let's talk about <laughs> And we, uh, we sat on a driveway from 11 to 2 a.m., started talking about God. And I looked at him at the end of that night and said, look, I don't care about young life. I don't care about club or camp. Um, If young life's about sitting outside till 2 a.m., I can see God in that. What do I got to do to do that? He said, pursue God, maybe become a young life leader. Um, Years later, this summer, I went to Chicago, and I took um, 40 people to inner city Chicago talk about God. And I met a young man who I shared my story with, and he ran outside and started crying. And we were under a staircase outside. He sat on the floor, and him and I, under a staircase, started talking, and um, started crying. So I'm going to share the poem that he wrote at the end of that week before we left. A rose, beautiful, yet so fragile, that can grow from just a simple smile, face and surrounded by weeds, but firm in its roots, just like an old tree. Thorns that protect the stem, our job to grow next to our friends. The flower is just like me, trying to grow, to feel free. But there is chaos all around us, such as hate, anger, violence, and lust. 
not knowing who to trust, not knowing what's unfair or just. The weeds are like life's hardest moments, trying to find a new component. The weeds in my life are the streets, which where I'm from are hard to beat. Easy to make money, quick money. Some find it crazy, but I find it kind of funny. How we could let a substance control us. Seeing my people homeless, riding the bus. A father who never cared for his children, but saw the bottle and drugs as his friend. The physical and verbal abuse destroys my mind, which makes me angry and sad. Asking God, why do I have an absent father? I feel he didn't even bother. I thought my brothers could fill that void, but instead they used me as their toy to make them a quick buck. Thought I was going to die, but I didn't, so I thought it was luck. They were just like my dad, knowing that made me depressed and sad, running to the streets for love when all I needed was a hug. My uncles were the men that saved me. Their wisdom is what paved me to go the right path in life when suddenly the air was taken from their life, running to gangs in the streets just for their cake to, and to eat. Wanting to talk to my dad would have made me glad. Finally, him wanting me as his son. Little did he know he was playing with a loaded gun. Everything he did in his younger days finally caught up. The cancer was like a sharp punch to the gut. Finally, when I had what I wanted, it was taken away from, from me. Feeling God didn't love me drove me to insanity. I gave up in school and sports and found myself in and out of courts. I seeked to my siblings for safety, but now they hate me. They see drugs and alcohol as an escape when I only wanted to feel safe. They shunned and wished me dead. Thoughts and negativity filled my head. Finally, when all was lost, I heard a voice from the boss. Showed me I'm more than the lost cause. God saw beauty and perfection in my flaws. I see now these events shaped me and who I am today. If God saved me, what makes you think he can't save you or others the same way? Like a rose, the weeds in front of me. I finally destroyed every sort of emptiness. Love filled the void. I grow and blossom more and more. God is a call and a knock away at the door. His words, my food, makes me grow. As you see, the beauty of the rose, it shows. God protects me from every hazard and flood. God is the one who gave me that hug, knowing I never lost a dad, knowing there's no longer need to be sad. I'm beautiful, as you can see. A rose to me never seemed so rooted yet so free. Um, this young man, we sat under a staircase, and if you remember, from 11 to 2 a.m., Brett talked to me about God. You know what time... We ended up talking under a staircase. 10.35, but it was close. <laughs> um, but we ended up talking about a whole bunch of beautiful things that night. And this is a picture of me and Ben and I. We get to sit wherever that may be and talk and share our story. And who knows what happens through that. My ministry, Young Life's Great. Youth group and church in Cedars is great, but my ministry is nothing more than to sit outside till 2 a.m. for the next kid. Yeah, that's me. Thank you.
All right, kiddos, you are free to go to class. All right, off you go. Have fun. Very good. Hey, um, as you can tell, we had a great week. Uh, three days at our equipping conference. Laura launched this off talking about, again, the story of the gospel. Tim did an incredible job talking about how, again, God comes and collides into our lives and that, that idea of salvation. And then um, I got to finish this off. But I'm just telling you, God was just doing amazing things. Over 100 people were able to be here. Uh, we just had a ton of just good conversations. And uh, we want to draw your attention to a couple things. Yes, this is the set. This is based off of some of the greatest writers. Uh, this would be C.S. Lewis, who did Chronicles of Narnia and Tolkien. Those kind of guys used to get together in a setting like this and talk uh, about story. And so we thought this would be our backdrop. And then this Tower of Books back here is this idea that it, the Scripture says that the book, um, there could not be enough books to carry all the things that Jesus said. And so the idea is we're still writing that story. And so that's what this is about. I will tell you on this back wall, as you walk out there, there are testimonies from people from Cedars that Brett turned into art. Their testimonies are the art piece. Below them are their written testimonies. And we encourage you to check them out, look through them, and then see the stories that God is using in those seven people. And by the way, hopefully even in your story as well. Um, I just need to let you know, I have got to get, we, we have got to get through this message. It is a long one that I've got to make short, okay? So that's on you to lean forward, and that's on me to speak double fast. So I'm just praying for all of you right now. Now, this is going to be a different style for me because really, honestly, this is just going to be me mainly reading Scripture. Because basically what I'm doing is I am using the New Testament to tell the story of one person. When I started this series out, I told you that there was this thing about it's a better story. It was a better story that Abraham was 100 years old when uh, he had his son. It's a better story uh, that Jesus was born in a uh, was born and and, his, and was placed in a, in a manger. It's a better story, right? And I kept saying that God wants to use the craziness of our lives to tell a better story. And one of the people I talked about in that was this guy, Paul. And it's a crazy thing that you would take a guy who literally was arresting Christians, was there for the stoning of Stephen, and that you would take him and turn him in to be the one who would not only write the majority of the New Testament, but be the person that would establish churches around the region that have honestly been so impactful. And so why would you choose this guy, Paul? And I told you because it's a better story. So what I want to do is using scripture, I want you to get to know the story of the person who, by the way, wrote most of what you read when you read the New Testament and where his heart is coming from. And here's what I also want you to see is his humanity. One of the things that we can do in scripture is that we can take away the fact that these are human beings born of flesh, flesh and blood that, by the way, gave themselves to Jesus. And because of that, powerful things happen. Because what we do is we put people in like, no, those are special people. Those are, those are, are unique people. That can't be me. God couldn't use me. God couldn't sit on a driveway from two in the morning. He couldn't do that. And the reality is, is the answer is absolutely he could. The question becomes, what do we do with that? So again, a lot of scripture. You're going to be fine. 
Uh, if you have it on your app, by the way, we have all the verses on the app for you right now in version. If you have your Bible app, just go to version. go to the bottom, find events, find Cedar's Church. They're already there for you. If you have the paper version, get to flipping, folks, because here we go. The first time we hear in Scripture of this guy, Paul, is when his name is Saul. We'll read it here. They had just, by the way, stoned Stephen. Stephen was a young man, young Greek man, by the way, did incredible ministry, was taking care of widows, and they stoned him to death because of his stance with Jesus Christ. Then they cast him out of the city, stoned him, and the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. He's a young man at the stage, but he's an up-and-comer. We'll see that here in a second. In Acts 22, 3, it says this, I am a Jew born in Tarsus and Cilicia, but brought up in this city, meaning Jerusalem, educated at the feet of Gamiel. Gamiel was the high teacher of the time. By the way, Gamiel was the one who, when Jesus was arrested, was in there going, look, if this is, if this is of God, you guys are going to be having a problem. According to the strict manner of the law of the fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. So he lets them know, I was born a Jew, I'm from this area, but listen, I was zealous for this thing called Judaism. Acts 26, 4 through 5, my manner of life from my youth, from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, and is known by all the Jews. All the Jews saw this young man. He was an up-and-comer. He had all the traits to be one of the bigs. I'm not kidding you. One of the bigs in Judaism. He was, he, you're going to find out all about his bloodline. We're going to find out all those things. And he is one of these guys. You're going, man, that's the one. You got to keep your eye on him. Look what it says in verse 5. They have known for a long time, meaning these Jews, they have known for a long time if they are willing to testify that according to the strictest party of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. By the way, you just couldn't call yourself a Pharisee. You had to live as a Pharisee. And to live as a Pharisee was the strictest part that you did. It wasn't just mouth service. You had to live it. You had to, you had to, these, these are the guys that Jesus said, by the way, they would tie their mint and their dill. Like these guys were hardcore. These guys were doing their fasting. They were doing all this. And Paul was in that group. The story of Paul, about a young man who has his eyes set to be something that God would be pleased with in the Jewish religion, is significant. In Philippians 3, 4 through 8, it says, Though I myself have a reason for the confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, which means, look, this is the flesh, all this means is how I was born, where I was born, what I did, this physical thing that I have done. He says this, I have more. You want to put your resume up against my resume? You want to play the game? Because what's happening in this is he's being attacked for what he's doing. He goes, but look, if you want to put your resume against my resume, let's play this game. And he says this, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. By the way, being of the tribe of Benjamin was big time. A Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, I kept the law. I strictly kept the law. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. 
You want to know if I was passionate about my time in Judaism? You want to know if I was passionate to be a follower of God? I attacked the Christian church. Righteousness under, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. When it came to the law, he lived it. He dotted the I's, he crossed the T's, he did everything that was asked of him. You need to understand, this is what Paul is saying. When you want to come down and play what it means to be in the flesh, I did what I could in the flesh, in my power, in my strength, in my ability to do this thing called Judaism. And I have the bloodline, I have the tribe, I was a Hebrew, and I chose to be a Pharisee, and I chose to sit underneath the best rabbis because I was going to do that process. The story of Paul. Again, why are we taking this road into his story? Because again, once you understand who this guy is who's writing the scriptures, maybe it'll give you an insight as you're reading what he's writing, what he is going through. Quickly, he was a Roman citizen. You'll find that in Acts 16, 37. He was single. We find that in 1 Corinthians 7, 7. He had a thorn in his side that God asked for him three times to take away. And God said, nope, we don't know what the thorn is. But he goes, look, there's something that torments me every day. I've asked for God to take it away. And God goes, nope, you're going to have it because it's going to keep you humble. We find that in 2 Corinthians 12, 7. Studied 14 years after his conversion, studied 14 years, we believe, at the feet of Jesus up in Tarsus. 14 years. That 14 years is significant. Not only does he spend 14 years learning from Jesus, it's 14 years of also letting the whole fact that he persecuted the church die down. But for 14 years, he just goes off the, off the, off the, uh, literally just goes off the field for 14 years. It wasn't until Barnabas goes up and grabs him and goes, it's time. So he got converted tried to do this whole thing of telling about Jesus, caused a bunch of problems, 14 years, sat at the feet of Jesus, this is what scripture says, and then was put on, back on the playing field. Romans 7, 14 through 24. Now here's, here's what I love about this, is that it is easy for, again, for us human beings, to look at someone like a Paul, like a Peter, uh, like anybody in the New Testament, and quickly go, wow, man, they got it covered. I can never do that. I'm not that strong. I don't have those issues. And one of the things that Paul does is he says something that becomes one of my favorite scriptures because I go, thank you, Jesus. This is my thank you, Jesus. Here we go. Romans 7, 14 through 24. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. Because the law is spiritual, but he goes, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. If I say anything that applies to you, just say amen. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not know what I, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but it's sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be the law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. 
For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I love that Paul, who is this holy guy, writing scripture, planning churches, doing all this, going, uh, that which I do not want to do, I keep on doing. Because those are the struggles I have in my own personal mind, right? When I'm with myself, that's what I struggle with. Why can't I get my together? And in doing so, I'm sitting there going, God, and then I read this and I go, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that I'm not the only one that just goes, man, the thing I want to do, man, I struggle. And I want you to know that it is good for us to see someone like Paul going, look, this is my reality. I'm trying to do good. I'm, I'm doing these things. And yes, there's good days I think I do well. But man, there's a battle inside of me as well. And I believe there has to be a battle inside of you. First Corinthians 9, 26 to 27. So he says these words. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body to keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. This passage to me is very important. Paul is saying this, look, this is called diligence to the end. I've shared in other sermons that you can go through Scripture and find out how many of the people in the Old Testament blew it in their 60s, 70s, and 80s. Blew it. By the way, one of those would have been King David. One of those would have been Moses. And so here's what happens. is Here is Paul who goes, look, I'm going to fight this sucker to the end. And I'm not taking this lion down. And he's not walking through this thing passively. He says, I do not run aimlessly. I do not run aimlessly. Can I just say something to you? I say this to a lot of my couples in their counseling. There is reactive and proactive. And I want to be honest with you. Most of you in this room live reactively to the day. Meaning, you get up and you just kind of deal with whatever comes. Sorry, you do. You get up and this happens and something happens at the office or something happens with the kids and the car blows the tire or whatever it is and you're living reactively. And I get it. We have to react to the world we live in. I'm not trying to say that we shouldn't do that, but there's a difference when you step out of your bed proactively with a purpose and a focus. I use this illustration when I say to them, if I was on the battlefield, I don't care anywhere around the world and woke up in my ditch I wouldn't just pop my head up and just run to wherever I would go. I would pop my head, I would wake up, I would go, what is it like out there? And I would get a stat report from those around me that says, safe, or then, hey, there's a sniper, hey, there's this, you gotta be careful, watch yourself. But so many of us pop our heads up and, our heads up and are wondering why we get taken out. Because we're running aimlessly. But I discipline my body and I keep it under control left, after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. He's like, no, I am not going to get disqualified because of my actions. I'm going to keep my focus, and I'm going to not run aimlessly. Colossians 4, 3-4. At the same time, pray also for us that the God may open to us the door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ 
on account of which I'm in prison. Here is a guy in prison going, watch this, that I, that I may make, pray that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. He's in prison for his faith and still saying, please pray for me that when I speak to those around me, that I make it clear. By the way, the main people he was speaking to them around him was probably the guards that the Romans gave him or the officials that would come in to see him. And he's saying, look, pray for me that, that when I wake up, that, that honestly, that, that, I would, that I would speak clearly this thing called the gospel. Do you hear his heart in that? That is a heart that is saying, look, I want to do my job well. And these people that are going to be around me, I want them to, to hear me clearly. Don't, don't let this message get messed up by me. First Corinthians 9, 19 through 22. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. Look at his heart. I'm free, but I've chosen to make myself a servant to, and so this is what would happen. Where every group Paul would go into, we find it in Ephesus, we find it when he's in, uh, um, when he goes to the cities of Philippi or he goes to Thessalonica, he would come in and find out who he was dealing with. And look what he says. He goes, I'm going to make myself a servant to them. Watch. For though I'm free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people. By, by all means, I might save some. Who do you need to be to those in your family? Who do you need to be to those at your work? Who do you need to be to those in your school? Who do you need to be to those that you do hobbies with? Do you have a heart that no matter what situation I am, I'm their servant that I might save some? See, all he's doing is making choices. Making choices to get up and not be aimless. Getting choices and saying, pray for me that I would speak clearly. And then when he walks into whatever situation he is, he goes, they need a servant. They need me. They need me to, to deal with them the way they need to be dealt with. If they're outside, deal with them. If they're inside, deal with them. If they're weak, deal with them. But my goal is that I might win some. And as I said at the end of our meeting is this. Paul just usually told his story. Hey, I was this guy who's, I was on the fast track and then Jesus met me on the road to Damascus and he blinded me. And then in that story, he told me that I would be the one that would go to the Gentile. He just tells a story. And that's all we're asking you to do is tell your story. Philippians 1, 21 through 24. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul gotten to the point that he goes, look, if you really want to cut me open, what I want, I want to go home. I want to go home. He even says it in the next line. If I am to live in the flesh, that means uh, fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to part and to be with Christ, for that is far better. Far better. See, the thing is, he's gotten to the point that he realizes this is just the game. The real stuff is up there. 
He goes, I get it. If I live here, I do my ministry, I do these things, and yes, I get that. Then you get blessed and more people hear the gospel. I get that. But if you want to ask me what I want to do, I want to go home. But then he resolves himself. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. And by the way, when you have finally taken that step to where you go, look, I'd rather be home. But the only reason I'm still here is so that other people will hear the gospel. Then you start really starting to tell the story. You see that your purpose is not to make the money. It's not to get the title. It's not to get all the stuff. Your purpose is to tell the story so that you might win some. I threw this part in here because I just need you to hear something. And I know I brought this up a few times, but I want to keep bringing it up. This is Acts chapter 16, 6 through 9. Um, One of the things that we don't do is we don't trust our common sense. We don't trust what we consider the next thing we should do. And sometimes what we do is we sit around and we go, God, what's your will, what's your will, what's your will? And all we do is we stand there saying, what's your will? And what we do is we don't move. We just stand there going, what's your will? Because we think that God's supposed to put out the breadcrumbs that are taking us where we're supposed to go. Now, I'm going to tell you times, there are times when God has definitely in my life put out breadcrumbs. But a lot of the times, I just want you to know, he goes, Jeff, what do you think is the next thing you need to do? And here's the deal. If I start going the wrong way, I believe that God has the ability to stop me. If my God is big enough... He has the ability to stop me. Does that make sense? So Paul has done all this ministry. His next heart is this. He wants to go into Asia. Look what happens. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak a word in Asia. So by the way, they wanted to go to Asia. Paul goes, that's the next move. I've done all this area. I've kind of been around this area. I want to move into Asia. And the Holy Spirit said, no. Watch the next thing that happens. And when they had come to Mysia, They attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So again, they're just doing what seems the next logical thing to do, and God has the ability to say no. Maybe in your life, instead of you just sitting waiting for God's will to come, God's will to come, move forward. And if if you're going in a direction he doesn't want you to go, he can tell you no. But I think sometimes we, we wait, because I'm thinking if anyone would have had the master laid out plan and known what the next thing to do would have been Paul, I go here, 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 and then I die. Nope, he just went to the next thing he thought, and God said no. Okay, and it goes on even before it says this. So, by passing, so passing by Mysia, they went to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and a man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. No to Asia, no to Bithynia, because God needed him in Macedonia. And so I think you go the direction you think you should go, and God will go, no, and he'll take you. And by the way, yes, I have had these visions where God says, Jeff, this is the next thing you're going to do. But I think the only reason I got those is because I was moving. St. Corinthians 11, 24 through 28. I told you a lot of scripture. I know it's just coming at you, but all we're doing is using what we have in scripture. I've not added anything. This is literally coming straight out of God's word about this guy named Paul. Five times I received the hand, at, the, uh, at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times was shipwrecked. At night and day, I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger 
uh, from false brothers. In toil and in hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, let's go back. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Now, why did I read that to you? Because let me tell you something. You're not promised the rose garden. Paul begins this ministry. By the way, being flogged once would have been enough for me. Four times. Beat with rods three. Stoned once. They literally stoned him. They thought he was dead. They walked away, thought he was dead. Arrested, beaten. Why? Because in this, God says, you will suffer for me. And it was a part of his story. It's a part of his story. And, he, and, he's, and he's speaking to it. But he gets to the very end, and then he goes, and guess what? I lay at night, and I'm worried about the church in Ephesus, and I'm worried about the church in Thessalonica, and I'm worried, uh, Thessalonica, and I'm worried about the church in Philippi, and I'm worried about the church in Corinth, and I'm worried about the church in Colossae. I mean, he's worried for them. Why? Because they were his babies. He helped plant them. He knows those people. He, he's praying for them. And I, I connect with that. Because in the last couple of years, my hurt and my anxiety has been, what has happened here? Folks, you need to understand that when you go towards God, notice he's not bitter about the beatings. He didn't want them. But he understand that God was doing something greater, something more. And he trusted him in that. Philippians 3, 4 through 8. We started with 3 through 6. We're going to finish with 7 and 8. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Remember, that was this whole thing. I'm born of a Hebrew. This is what I have. I mean, I'm circumcised on the eighth day, people of Benjamin. But whatever I gained, whatever gain I had, I count, counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Why? Because he found, listen to me, the treasure buried in the field. Simple. He found a treasure buried in a field, and he looked at all of his heritage and all that he was going for as a Jew, all the things that he was going to be in this high, powerful person as a Pharisee, all of this bloodline, all this stuff. He found this treasure, and he sold it all to buy the field because this treasure was greater. That's all he's saying. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. I'm just telling you right now that for many of us, we're not telling our story because our story gets pretty lame when our story is about us getting stuff and wanting things and wanting all these other issues when our story is not Christ at the center. I was wondering how I was going to finish this up. All this story about this guy named Paul, and I hope you just hear him, that he was a human guy who, by the way, was on the fast track, met Christ, Christ changed the story, and because of that, changed the world through what he did, in the, in, as we understand as the New Testament. I was like, how am I going to end this story? Here we are. 
This is 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. I thank him who has given me strength. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful. Appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and an insolent opponent. But he found me faithful. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. He acted ignorantly when he was persecuting the church. He acted ignorantly when he was doing all these things because he didn't understand the power of who Jesus was that the Messiah had come. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. I'm going to read this passage to you one more time. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. I was his opponent. I was taking out his members. I was zealous for Judaism, but I didn't know him. So I finally got to know him. I sold it all. And he poured on me grace and love. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of your full acceptance that Jesus Christ, (laughs) or that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Let's just read that again. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Sinners, watch this, of whom I am the foremost. Paul goes, look, I don't know where you stand and why you don't want to accept Jesus, but I persecuted the church. I was the one that was taking him out and he found grace for me. What's your excuse? I'm the foremost. But he came to save the foremost and anyone else that would open up their heart. So why does Paul establish churches? Why does Paul write the letters? Why is Paul in Rome to speak to Caesar? Because Jesus came to save sinners. And Paul tells his story. Our hope and our prayer is that you will tell the story that you would look at one man, Paul, and say he told the story once he encountered the almighty Jesus Christ. He told the story. Beatings. But he considered it all nothing compared to taking on Jesus. From there he gets into traditions that he was eventually crucified himself. But Paul, who started out as a young man named Saul, said, I'm not going to run aimlessly. I'm not going to beat the air. I'm going to run in such a way as to win the prize, and I will not be disqualified. I will not. And we want you as a church so desperately to tell your story. 
to those in your inner circle and to those who God brings before you. Tell your story. No sermons, no Bible studies. Tell your story and see what God does. And may you walk out of here with the same heart that I might win some. Some. Because if we all are winning some, then there's that more many people that get to be in heaven for eternity praising his name. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that you have allowed us to see in your word um, your power and your authority. And so, Father, would you allow us, Father, to come today and realize what you're doing, that you want to move us from those who sit in a building to those who live it out in our inner circle, who tell our stories. And when people ask us for the hope that we have, we tell them our story. Because our story is your story invading our soul and changing us at our very core. So thank you, God, that you love us so. And thank you that you love us. Not when our story will become good. You love us in our story right now. You just want to journey with us to make our story magnificent. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, um, a couple things. I do, this is, but how many of you raised by raising hands went to our equipping conference? For those of you that did not get to go, please understand the heartbeat of this leadership, the eldership, all the way down to the staff, is that we want to not only tell you, hey, you need to reach out and tell your story. We want to equip you to do so. Ways in which we do that is rooted, our small groups, yes, our equipping conferences, different things that we participate in. Our hope is that you go, hey, I can tell my story. And it's not just up going, hey, tell your story and then giving you no tools to do that. That's what our weekend was about. If you have any questions to that of how we can help you, talk to myself, talk to Tim, talk to Laura, talk to any of our staff. We want to help you to tell your story. I don't want you to sit there and go, oh, well, th- well they just keep telling me I don't know what to do. We are here to equip you. And if we can do that, that would be great. I will just tell you a couple of the highlights from the equipping conference, and I'm going to have Tim come up and close us off, was really see, honestly, every night in this room were people that were like, look, I, 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 I need to know how to tell my story. And Tim and Laura led them through what that looks like of just saying, look, you start with where you were and walk them through the process. If you want something like that, let us know. We want to help you with that. A couple of other highlights. We did a thing called an I Am Form. By the way, this morning I placed the link to that on our webpage. If you go there on our webpage, front page, it says I Am Form. And what that does is that it's a way for you to learn to tell your story. And we have people that would just say, where's from? And it's, it's funny. It, it was just a simple exercise of, and mine was, I am from, um, I am from um, Lemon Pledge, right? I mean, that's where I'm from. I remember the smell of Lemon Pledge as a kid because my mom loved to clean. I'm from Lemon Pledge, and I am from, uh, what did I say, Crisco and Tumbleweeds, right? So that's my story of where I come from. But in the middle of that, God invades my story. If you want to look at that poem, you can go online, look at that, fill that out. Maybe it's a way for you to tell your story. The artwork here was also one of the highlights. So beautiful. Uh, Brett did a great job. Uh, Brett's over at Community. But if you see him, thank him for all the artwork that he did, um, which was awesome. 
It was a great uh, conference, and I hope that, again, as we go forward, that if you need help telling your story, don't just sit there. Talk to us. We want to help you through that. And with that, I'm going to ask Tim to come up and give you guys some announcements. All right. Yeah, we have that link up for you. Um, I actually grabbed mine real quick because I thought he was going to ask for some volunteers, so I I like to be prepared. But anyhow, so you get to hear mine. If you already heard it, oh, well, you hear it again. And then if I'm sick, you can actually give mine if you don't have yours written. Um, But this is that form written out. And you look, there's a bunch of blanks you fill in, kind of like Mad Libs. I think that's what it was back in the day. Um, It has funny things that you put in there to tell your lineage, right, of your story. So this is my lineage story with that poem, if you will. It says, I am from the bench in the dugout, from Kentucky Fried Chicken and Slurpees. I am from the single-story house in the middle of the street, average, simple, and welcoming with hospitality. I am, some, I am from sunflowers, whose seeds are roasted and eaten on the baseball field. I am from card games and bountiful snack foods. From the Ruizes, or Ruizes, depending on how you speak or don't speak Spanish, and the Pierce families. I'm from the family of avidly watching sports on television and yelling loudly because I believe they can hear me. And punctual-mindedness. From what's on your agenda, back away from the ledge, and call me when you get there. I'm from recovering Baptist and non-denominationals, wholeheartedly following Jesus. I'm from England, Ireland, Puerto Rico, Hawaii, but I was born in the Bay Area. I'm one who loves Puerto Rican red rice and fresh blueberry pies made from Massachusetts. I'm from the lineage of two former U.S. presidents and Paul Revere. All three my grandfathers, and yes, I have ridden a horse. I'm the grandchild of Hawaiian-born great-grandparents who worked on plantations with family photos on walls and mantles, but not in the bathroom, because that's weird, and in my wallet that was stolen last month. Photos taking, cutting Christmas trees in the studio, on the beach, in vineyards, and by a lighthouse so that I could know the way to go. That is my story. Right, so that's the, that's the form that you can download, and underneath there it has little um, things in there to have you fill in to kind of tell that lineage, and that is, that is who I am. That's where I came from. Um, and with that, now we'll turn to the announcements. Um, outside here um, on the Info Center, you'll see a little pamphlet that looks like this. We are doing still a silent auction Um, for a number of the items, the artifacts around here. For example, um, this um, beautiful um, globe has a price on here and a discount. It's also in this booklet. These items here that are being sold, and you can write down your silent bid at the info center. You can see Antoinette or Laura afterwards. They're going to help um, these two girls. These two girls are part of Community Home Church that were in a car accident um, and were um, injured. I believe they're doing okay, but um, they have bills that they can't pay on their own and their families. And so we decided to have these monies for these um, antiques that were donated to be on sale here 
um, those proceeds go for that. So if you um, would afterwards, if you want to grab that little booklet on the Info Center, take a look around the things that have tags on them or in the pictures of there, and then write a bid down. If you want to um, have one of these lovely items, you can do that. Or as Brett was pitching the other night, if you're looking for Christmas gifts because you're that far ahead planning for loved ones, you can have this globe or other things for sale as a gift. All right. Next item is uh, Bethel. Bethel will start next week. So you have one more week. If you're looking for uh, making this two-year commitment of digging deep into God's Word, you can still sign up for that. That starts one more week from tonight or from today, and um, you can go on that. Two last two things, both community or um, Compassion Network related. One is uh, we will be hosting um, the Hardy Harvest again here on the Monday of Thanksgiving week. I think that's the, 20, the 25th of November. Um, but you will also see leading up to that, we'll be having the bags and the items that are needed to, to fulfill that um, ahead of time. So be on the lookout for that. You can sign up to grab one of the bags and um, bring those items in. Or if you want to help out on that Monday with delivering the goods out of this room to people who come in for need, um, I think you can sign up, either see us or Compassion Network. And finally, uh, via Compassion Network, this uh, mobile hygiene unit is starting to make the rounds in the churches in the area um, of the Tri-Cities area. And if if you want to volunteer, you can go to Compassion Network to do that as well. All right? Got it? All right. Let me pray, and then you can go uh, take off for this week. Father, thank you for the gift of, um, of your word. I pray, Lord, too, that it does not return void, that we are able to be encouraged by hearing stories, to hearing testimonies of how you crashed into the lives of people, and you changed them for good. Lord, thank you for the story of Paul and, um, and I just pray, too, that your word uh, would continue to challenge us to, to be faithful and obedient. I pray your blessing on this week, that we would have opportunities for the gospel, and we would jump into it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.